You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. At the end of 2019 and into 2020, massive bushfires ravaged Australia in what became known as Black Summer. You know, you would look outside at 10 o'clock in the morning and it would be a black sky and the sun, if you could see the sun, would kind of be like a red dot. It's just such an extreme amount of smoke. We hear a lot about the huge economic cost of wildfires like this that are growing in frequency and size across the globe. Just look at a place like California, homes destroyed, people's lives turned upside down. But the Australia disaster has now, three years later, awakened officials around the world to another toll that's been harder to pin down. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, Bloomberg reporters Amy Bainbridge and Angus Whitley on the elusive health hazards of wildfires, especially on children. The fires raged across eastern Australia for months on end. They generated so much smoke. They engulfed farmland, towns... 24 million hectares of land, the area equivalent to half of California. It was just such a huge event. Just the scale of them was something that most of Australia had never experienced before. And also because it touched so much of the population, you know, by some estimates, 80% of the population, that there weren't many people who weren't affected. And it really brought something that maybe had had in the past been something that affected rural areas of Australia or remote communities. It it brought these fires into the city. People in the city were suffering from smoke effects as well. You know, more than 30 people directly died in the fires. You know, an estimated 450 almost people indirectly dying from the fires. It was a tragic season that just went on and on and on. It um, It was awful to live through. We wanted to go out and see what the long-term effects of this fire were. And we knew that it had devastating consequences in the immediate aftermath. But something that long and that severe, we thought, well, three years after the event, what has that done to people who lived through that? And particularly, what has it done to the kids, the really young kids at the time who were breathing in that smoke, and also the mothers who were pregnant at the time who were breathing in that smoke and directly feeding that into their unborn children. So Amy and I went out and tried to find the mothers and the kids who were affected, and the results were terrifying in some respects, and it kind of surprised us what the kind of symptoms people were suffering. A lot of the women that we spoke to 
they're still very traumatised when you talk about that event. At the time, a lot of women say now, reflecting, they weren't really equipped to stay out of the smoke, to try and prevent breathing those toxic particles into their bodies. We were told that masks, which of course we're all now very familiar with at the time, was so hard to access. Trying to keep smoke out of your house by blocking under doors with wet towels, putting towels over fans and things like that. People just couldn't stop breathing in this smoke. And this lasted for weeks and weeks on end. And that, of course, went to the question that Angus and I had was around this acute exposure. What happens to your body? What can be the medium and long term consequences of breathing in smoke? in an event like that. And once we started looking around, we realised there there was a lot of literature on long-term air pollution, but there's some emerging research on the impact of breathing in wildfire smoke. And that's kind of what we zeroed in on. What we discovered was that the bushfire or wildfire smoke contains hundreds of different ingredients and a lot of, of poisonous gases. You can imagine it just burns through everything. It's not a controlled blaze burning one particular type of fuel. It burns through vehicles, it burns through houses, building materials, anything that might you know, be toxic in the house goes up in smoke, asbestos, bricks, concrete. There's lots of really toxic substances and what we discovered was that doctors and academics are really focused in on this tiny particulate matter, PM2.5 in particular, which is full of little pieces of matter which are so small, far too small to see with the naked eye, in fact far smaller than the width of a human hair. And PM2.5 is how scientists describe the particulate matter in pollution or in wildfire smoke that lodges in the lungs? That's right. So small, it penetrates your lungs, can even enter the bloodstream. And of course, once it's in your bloodstream, it can do all sorts of damage to different organs. And that's really the matter that does the damage. There's PM2.5 in ambient air pollution, but wildfire smoke is particularly concentrated. And what is the difference between wildfire smoke and just air pollution? Well, ambient air pollution is something that most of the world deals with. You know, according to the World Health Organization, almost everybody is breathing in some kind of polluted air at some point. But wildfire smoke is traditionally very elevated for short periods of time. The PM 2.5 levels shoot off the scale. I mean, at some point during Black Summer in Australia, levels were 10 times more than safe levels in Australia. So it was very elevated. And I think what marked Black Summer at was just the longevity of the burning. Usually these things last for a few days. Black Summer burned for weeks and weeks and 19 weeks on end in some areas. So I think that's what academics and people are really interested in. Well, what does that do to the body? We haven't seen that kind of duration of polluted air, not in our lifetime anyway. Faye Johnston, who's kind of like a, a world-renowned um, researcher on wildfire smoke, and she's based in Tasmania in our southern state of Australia. So she's been studying this for 20 years, and she kind of describes it as like this toxic mix of harmful gases, including nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide. So when I'm talking about particles suspended in the air, they can range from great big bits of dust that you can see or ash from a fire right down to nanoparticle-sized bits of carbon or other things. The tinier the particle, the more it gets into your system. So anything smaller than a size of two and a half micrometers. A micrometer is one thousandth of a millimetre, so it's really, really tiny. Anything smaller than 2.5 
will enter into your lungs and can cross into your bloodstream. So we often talk about PM 2.5 as one marker of particles, and that's that smaller size class. And that's the one most studied for health. Any kind of combustion will give off a lot of particles and a lot of PM 2.5. And when you're burning wood or bushfires, that kind of, we call it biomass combustion, that generates a lot of PM 2.5 and far smaller size classes. So it's a really important source of harmful particles in the air. So when you breathe particles in, your body will react to it like it reacts to any hazard. Um, and it will activate your stress responses and your immune responses. Just like if you've got pneumonia or if you've got a burn, your body reacts to the stress or the threat. And it does that in a whole lot of ways. And the other thing to think about amongst all this is your underlying predisposition, the genetic factors that contribute to you as a person and what this kind of exposure might activate in your system and then therefore what the medium and long-term consequences might be. What Faye told us was that if you are a healthy person, maybe you could withstand several days of elevated PM2.5. But if you are perhaps just susceptible to asthma, the same dose might trigger some, some long-term consequences in your own body. So it would have different effects to different people. And you may not even know that you're susceptible to it. Almost in that respect, it's a bit of a lottery as to what it might do to you. Obviously, if you're already suffering from asthma, you're predisposed to it, there's a chance it might affect you worse. But there are so many unanswered questions the mothers were grappling with. Did the smoke lead directly to my child's symptoms? Could I have done more? Is there a direct link between what I'm seeing in my child now and those days where I and perhaps breathing in the smoke without a mask at the time? And there is a hole in the academic research at the moment that medics and researchers are racing to fill. And you decided to concentrate on children. Why is that? We were aware that there was a quite a major research study happening in the state of New South Wales that was trying to find out some answers around the medium and long-term health impacts of Black Summer. It's called the Mother and Child 2020 Study, and it's conducted by a group of well-known, high-profile researchers who know what they're doing, basically. We were really interested to find out why they wanted to know this. One of the first things we did was connect with a general practitioner who works in a rural area, runs a very large clinic in southern New South Wales, northern Victoria, kind of in this border region. And she had given evidence to a Senate committee hearing about the outcomes of Black Summer in terms of the smoke inhalation. And we started with her. And I just remember my first conversation with her, and this was towards the end of last year but being kind of blown away by the sorts of things she told us she witnessed at the time. And she had really grave fears that no one was really doing much about what happens when the next emergency invariably comes. And that doctor's name is Rebecca McGowan. Here she is talking to you. There was one particular case that really made me sit up and start to take notice of this whole issue. And it was a woman whose baby was born early. The baby was born smaller. But what really uh, struck me was her comments about her placenta. And she was told that her placenta looked like she'd been a smoker, a pack-a-day smoker. And the midwives were all around a circle looking at this placenta. They took photos of it and they said, 
you're a smoker, and she denied it. She said, I've never smoked in my life. And And another mother described her placenta as being gritty. A normal placenta is pink and fleshy, and uh, it looks uh, healthy. A diseased placenta has a lot of grey in it and chalky white bits and parts of it that look at what we call uh, friable or a bit fragile, like breaking away. The placenta is the most important thing to keep the baby growing, so it is the powerhouse. So it nourishes the baby. Uh, It's the pathway, the portal between what the mother breathes in and what she eats and how that um, all that good nourishment is passed on to the baby via the placenta and uh, the baby, as we know... We also uh, spoke to some doctors at the time, two obstetricians, who also described similar kind of experiences, but there was one particular doctor, Michael Holland, who was a, a roving obstetrician in down south of Sydney, and he described seeing three stillbirths in an area that would ordinarily have 300 births in a year, and that is very unusual, he told us. And that's either a coincidence or it's attributed to something. After the break, a mother describes the effect she believes breathing smoke had on her child. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. There was one boy, Colt, who was the son of one woman that we spoke to in, down in Nelligan, about four hours south of Sydney. The fires rolled in in early 2020, and he's still on breathing medication day and night. And you spoke to Colt's mother, Casey Douglas. I just remember um, I, t- I pulled him under my shirt and I I had him here and I was trying to just shelter him from the smoke. But looking outside at the glass windows, the smoke was just in... No matter how many... All your windows were shut, the smoke was still coming in under the door. 
He was a healthy one-year-old before the smoke and the smoke was present, but, but Colt didn't get bad until it was so close to us. There are other kids who, perhaps not on regular medication now, but had used Ventolin or breathing medication at some point in the preceding period. It's a medication to, to help you breathe. It's essentially a relaxant. It opens up the airways and makes it easier to breathe. One of the key subjects that we spoke to for our story, Colt, little boy, who was one at the time, and his mother described to us how when he first took it in the days after the fire, almost immediately he started to breathe more easily. No one's quick to link anything to the fires here. Um, but yeah, I know in my heart that the breathing issues happen straight after the fires, if not during. He's now on an asthma plan for his preschool and uh, he has a preventer in the morning and a preventer at night. And if he doesn't have that preventer, he has a really bad day. And he can hardly run around the poor thing without wheezing and, um, and being out of breath and puff. So it's taken a toll on him for sure. And yeah, I, I feel for him because he'll be most likely on Ventolin for the rest of his life. There was a, a woman we interviewed in a beautiful coastal town called Tura Beach, which is south of Sydney. And, and Amy, Amy and I drove down to meet a mother called Jen Spears, who was worried about her daughter, Mia. And that's the woman we heard about earlier who believed her placenta had been damaged by wildfire smoke. We spoke to her in, in her home and she was just reeling off the, all the specialists in Mia's medical team who were attending to her. There was a physiotherapist, there was an occupational therapist, there was a speech therapist, there was a pediatric neurologist trying to figure out what was wrong with Mia. And Jen had, had gone through this intense period of osmotic exposure. She had, as Amy, Amy referred to earlier, she had gone through this sort of five or six week period of, of intense smoke. She tried escaping to Canberra. The smoke was actually worse in Canberra. She came back home. And Tura Beach was really one of those places that was almost sort of surrounded. It was ambushed, if you like, by wildfire. And they didn't see the sun for weeks. And there was smoke all over the house. And this was what when Jem was pregnant with Mia. And it should be said that doctors haven't connected Mia's symptoms with that smoke exposure. But it's something that preys on Jen. And Mia missed her milestones, developmental milestones. She was slow to eat solids. She was born three weeks early because her growth had plateaued in the womb. And again, according to the midwives, Mia's placenta was partly calcified. It was blackened as if Jen had been a heavy smoker. And then subsequently, Mia didn't crawl until after her first birthday. And she has hip dysplasia, which is the medical term for a hip socket that doesn't fully cover the ball portion of the upper thigh bone. So really worrying symptoms that doctors haven't yet connected to the, the smoke exposure. But then Jen is wondering, you know, was it due to those few weeks of smoke exposure? Do we need to do things differently? And she said she was talking to us, so no one else in her position had to go through the same experience again. So it's that gap in knowledge that we spoke about earlier that's really sort of weighing on these mothers as well. Amy, are doctors able to draw connections between the fires and these sorts of physical ailments that aren't just breathing difficulties that you might naturally associate with inhaling smoke? We asked this of the general practitioner, Rebecca McGowan, as well. 
she is part of a number of lobby groups on the environment. She said that doctors are often very pushed for time and it can be harder to get to those bigger picture issues. But she's also confident that there is an increasing awareness that there may be a link. And the only thing that's really going to help with this is gathering more data and really putting it firmly on the agenda to give practitioners more confidence when they're dealing with these kinds of cases. It was estimated that in Sydney, at the height of the Black Summer um, smoke and fires, that it would be walking around Sydney would be equivalent to smoking 37 cigarettes in one day. And that was actually closer. Um, so closer to the fires, it would be more than that. So we have that data for the last 70 years on what smoking looks like in a woman, a pregnant woman. So we can extrapolate a little bit. We're not just flying blind with this. We do have some scientific information. What do we know about the widespread health effects of the fires in Australia overall? This is the, the key question. We know, we know what it did to, to people at the time. There, there's, there's good data in the immediate aftermath of higher presentations to emergency departments for cardiovascular complaints, for Ventolin prescriptions, for breathing difficulties. So all that data is, is immediately available. What we don't know is what it's done to people like now, three years after the event. And as Amy says, that Mother and Child 2020 is, is a key study. But what's also key is that these kind of studies go on and on and keep looking at the, the, the kids as they progress into school, through school. And I think only then will you get a really good picture of, of what bush fire smoke exposure does to you during your key growth period as, as a child and into adulthood. And there, there are previous studies in the US, not particularly focused on bush fire smoke, but more on, on generic air pollution. For instance, there was, a, there was a key study in the US that started in the 1990s it was a study in the University of California that, that traced a cohort of, of several thousand kids through school in, in areas that were exposed to, to air pollution. And they found that once a kid reaches 18, any kind of damage that, that they've sustained to their lung development is really unlikely to be reversed. So there were indicators in the past about what generic air pollution does to, to children, but nothing really that pointed to long-term effects of, of wildfire smoke in particular. I think that's what people are wrestling with now as wildfires are projected to become more common, more severe, longer lasting. The wider picture, there are countries that will be impacted by wildfire smoke that haven't been impacted wildfire smoke to such a degree in, in the future as, as the climate continues to, to warm. When we come back, what's the plan for a future with more wildfires and more smoke? Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We know that meteorologists are warning bushfires are going to become more frequent and destructive and this whole problem is just becoming too big to ignore. Already it's costing as much as $36 billion a year in the US alone. Meteorologists say that, you know, bushfires, wildfires are going to become more frequent and more destructive as temperatures continue to rise. And we already know that long-term health problems are just going to add to that bill. And something that people repeatedly raise to us, mothers as well, is is the economic productivity that comes out of that too. Like women who have to take longer off work to care for their children, do they need to spend more time? helping with developmental delays and things like that. So there is some real economic consequences as well. We also know that there are places around the world experiencing wildfires that have never previously burned because of the changing climate. So in many ways, it's putting all communities on their toes as they learn about what could potentially lie ahead. It was a really good United Nations Environment Programme report on wildfires and that pointed to a lot of the, the fires that were burning around the world that, that we hadn't seen before. I think that they said in, in 2020, fires in the Russian Arctic, for instance, burned tens of millions of hectares. And there'd been earlier blazes in Alaska, in Greenland and Canada. And I think most worrying, and this was a statistic that really struck me, was that these kind of catastrophes like Black Summer are almost 60% more likely to happen this century as, as the climate warns. I mean, I think whereas California has experienced eight of its 10 largest fires on record in just the past five years, which might tell you something. And we've, we, we've had fires in suburbs of major cities as well, like Athens, Boulder in Colorado. So I guess that's the, that's the pattern that's emerging. What is Australia doing to try to protect people's health the next time around in a way that they couldn't anticipate before? There was a key inquiry straight after the bushfires, the Black Summer, into what happened, how, how we could approach the next disaster better, and the Royal Commission into, into the Black Summer. And that came up with 80 recommendations, including improving air quality indication 
improving the, the, the flow of information to people in far spots, working with the indigenous community to work out how to manage the land better. Some of those have been actioned, some of them haven't, and certainly the, there's, there's a better network of, of air quality monitors that, that are in place. But some of the, the recommendations that, that we hear from academics and, and, and doctors go a bit further, like subsidised air, air purifiers, for instance, for, for people who are particularly vulnerable for pregnant mothers, good supply of, of masks for pregnant mothers, maybe even evacuation plans for, for pregnant mothers and vulnerable and kids, like putting them at the head of the queue. So there are steps that you can take that go further than, than better information, better monitoring, better land management. But it's not clear that those are being immediately actioned. Are worldwide organizations like the WHO or the UN trying to get together to figure out how to get their arms around this problem? In the next few months, we expect the World Health Organization to release a major evidence review of this issue. So hopefully bringing together all that we know. And we have spoken to Dr. Mary Pranicki, who is a scientist at Stanford who worked on that evidence review. She has said that it's going to make a number of recommendations globally for countries. So we do know that there is some action on this. We also know more locally here that one of the doctors that we interviewed who has since been elected to parliamentary office is going to put smoke-related research high on the agenda. He's now the parliamentary secretary in New South Wales, Dr Michael Holland. So so there's, ha there's things happening globally and there is a push here locally as well to try and get a bit of traction on this issue and, if anything, help communities prepare for the next disaster when it invariably does come. Amy, Angus, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Rebecca Chasson is our producer. Our associate producer is Sam Gebauer. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back on Monday with another Big Take. Have a great weekend. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.